Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is Unexplained, Season 4, Episode 4, Always Already, Part 2. It had been two days since McIntyre had so carelessly followed the Mayaruna into the depths of the Amazon rainforest. That night, having strung up a hammock on the edge of the camp, he lay awake, replaying those words over and over in his mind. Some of us are friends. How could the chief have communicated this without uttering a word, let alone not speaking English? Did he have access to an ancient form of communication, he thought, abilities that had long died out in more contemporary societies? Or had McIntyre merely picked up on a general sensibility and conjured the thoughts on his own? What then did it mean that only some of them were friends? McIntyre awoke the next morning with an acrid smell of burning rubber assaulting his nostrils. He lifted his arm to check the time, but there was no watch on his wrist. His camera and shoes were gone too. Stumbling into the middle of the camp, he found Red Cheeks and some fellow warriors of the tribe standing around a fire with a suspiciously dark plume of smoke rising up from it. And on top of it were his sneakers. McIntyre grabbed them, putting them, still scolding, onto his feet as Red Cheeks and the others crowed with laughter. McIntyre breathed deeply, doing his best to control the anger now swelling up inside of him, as he looked desperately for his camera, the one thing that justified his stupidity at getting lost out there. Just then, the chief appeared and approached him. I need to know what happened, came the voice in McIntyre's head.
Many others had appeared by now, crowding round the fire. The chief looked first at Redcheeks and then to McIntyre, before turning his back and walking away as the rest of the village moved in behind him. McIntyre shouted out to them, but nobody responded. It was not uncommon for tribes to ostracise individuals to the point of invisibility. If they no longer observed them, they no longer existed. McIntyre couldn't afford to let that happen to him. So he began to jog. He started slowly at first, on a steady line circling the entire camp. By the fourth lap, he was running at pace, stamping and flailing his arms, every time he went past the chief, determined for him not to ignore him. Slowly, the villagers began to take notice. Redcheeks had noticed too, stepping forward from the others, with his hand tightly gripped on a club. For a moment, McIntyre thought he might attack him, but something was holding him back, and then he saw the chief watching him. Hoping he had done enough, McIntyre finally came to a stop. The chief regarded the stranger for a moment. Then, as McIntyre watched in complete bemusement, he started to jog also, taking the exact same line as McIntyre, but in the opposite direction. He continued until he had completed the same amount of laps. Then a thought came into McIntyre's mind. The face of time and then he realised. They thought he had been putting a spell on the village, and the chief was trying to reverse it. Having finished the last lap, the chief stared again at McIntyre for a moment, then went back to his hut. Now witnessed again by the tribe, McIntyre returned to the fire and pulled the remains of his watch from under the ash. His last connection to time as he knew it had now gone. Just then, he caught sight of something odd dangling from a branch. It was a roll of film. Then he saw the monkey in the tree above it, holding his precious camera in its hands. McIntyre watched helplessly as it tore off the back and threw what was left of it somewhere deep into the undergrowth. Though he was relieved not to have been cut off from the group, losing the camera was a tough blow. He slumped to the floor, exhausted. At the very least, he still had two rolls of shot film in his pockets, if he should ever make it out of there alive, he thought. Just then, a girl he had decided to call Monia walked past. He had seen her lying with red cheeks before, and assumed they were a couple. In her hair, she wore a blue piece of the wool he had left out by his camp when he first arrived. He noticed her nails were now painted the same colour too. It was as if McIntyre's presence was already staining and corrupting these people. A reminder, perhaps, of how quickly an isolated culture can become tainted by others. Later, After bathing in the river, newly replenished, he was greeted by the chief, who offered him one of his beautifully crafted arrows 
with bristles made of boar hair. A peace offering, perhaps, thought McIntyre, who gave him the belt he had weaved in return. At the chief's invitation, McIntyre then followed a small group of children into the forest and watched as a shaman gave them a lesson on the many plants and insects of their habitat. Then the chief approached him again, and a thought appeared in his head. You must run away, it said. McIntyre looked confused. As they stood silently together, more words appeared in McIntyre's mind. The tribe had been attacked before by white men who came from the sky. They were now on a journey to escape it all. But how, thought McIntyre in response. By returning to the beginning, came the reply. Yes, thought McIntyre. This was why they seemed so restless, and why they were starving themselves. The chief called it a journey to the beginning, but as McIntyre understood it, it was a journey to death. The chief was offering him the chance to leave and save himself. McIntyre looked out into the jungle and weighed up his options, but there was no question that his best chance was to stay with the tribe as long as he could. He looked back at the chief and shook his head. Over the next few days, McIntyre began finally to adjust to the rhythms of the jungle. He survived a bout of diarrhoea and spent most of his time listening for sounds of a plane, waiting in vain for the Mayaruna to up sticks and move on to the next destination. On the sixth night, McIntyre woke in the dark. Then he heard it, the unmistakable roar of a jaguar. Moments later, an excited Red Cheeks appeared, carrying a flaming torch, beckoning for the photojournalist to follow him. Sensing a chance to finally prove his worth and win him over, McIntyre cautiously headed out to him as more hunters appeared from out of their huts, and soon they were charging through the forest in pursuit of the wild animal. Hearing more jaguar cries in the distance, McIntyre did his best to keep up with the balls of flame bobbing and weaving through the trees ahead of him, until suddenly they came to a stop by a large thorny bush. Rushing toward it, McIntyre was just about to stop when one of the hunters pushed him hard from behind and sent him tumbling into the thorns. He cried out in agony as the barbs stuck into him, many breaking off while still under the skin. Stumbling to his feet, McIntyre found himself alone in complete darkness, with no sign of the flaming torches and no sign of the hunters. Of course, he thought, there had been no jaguar. Either he just wanted him gone, or Red Cheeks had tried to kill him. McIntyre realised with alarm that those thorns could also be poisonous. As quickly as possible, he did what he could to pull them from his skin in the dark, but many, especially those on his back, he could not reach. He waited for a moment, expecting some effect from the poison, but nothing came. Scratched and bloodied, 
He listened out for any sound of the camp, but heard only crickets and the occasional cry of a macaw somewhere in the canopy above. Unable to see anything more than a foot in front of him, he decided to stay put until first light. Moments later came the gnats, assaulting him from all over, nipping and biting at its body. Each time he swatted them away, they seemed just to come back in greater numbers. Needing to find any kind of shelter, he eventually settled under some roots, taking care to scare off any poisonous creatures that might have been lurking there. And there he remained, waiting out the rest of the night. McIntyre woke at daybreak, his body shivering with cold and itching all over. Finding the bush of thorns again, he soon located a path nearby. After following it for a few minutes, however, the path split in two. Exasperated, he took one and headed down it. Hours later, McIntyre broke through into a clearing. With a flush of excitement, he spotted chainsaw marks on the trees and wondered if the loggers were still close. Though he found the practice objectionable, he realised too with a touch of irony that these people might also be his best chance of survival. Moments later, he found the bodies. Four of them, in various states of decay, being steadily devoured by an endless line of army ants and other small creatures. McIntyre did his best to cover his nose from the smell and swatted the flies away. Then he noticed the arrows sticking out of their chests. The flights made of boar bristles, just as the chief had handed him the day before. The men, Amazonians too in their way, with families of their own to support, had likely been dropped in by helicopter to prepare a formal landing spot for developers they were unlikely to be found. McIntyre made a note of the chainsaw serial number, hoping it might help identify them later. Continuing on, feeling more and more itchy all over his body, he noticed a puncture wound on his arm beginning to swell unusually. Taking his knife, he dug into it and pulled out a small, wriggling maggot. Many hours later, with the heat and humidity intensifying, McIntyre stumbled on in a state of near delirium, having lost all comprehension of distance as he felt his entire self being absorbed into the buzzing vibrancy of the forest. Then, hearing the sound of water, he staggered toward it, breaking through into a scene of unparalleled beauty. Before him, under dappled sunlight, lay a small river beach of untouched white sand, at the foot of two high and narrow waterfalls, cascading off the face of a vast green mountain. McIntyre flopped onto the beach and threw his head into the water. Then after taking a short rest to pick more maggots from under his skin, he carried on, hoping to follow the stream back to the river. Seconds later, he collapsed. Are you always taking care of your family? Do you often take care of others and not yourself? 
Now it's time to take care of yourself, to make time for you. You deserve it. Teladoc gives you access to a licensed therapist to help you get back to feeling your best, to feeling like yourself again. With Teladoc, you can speak to a licensed therapist by phone or video. Therapy appointments are available seven days a week from 7am to 9pm local time. If you feel overwhelmed sometimes, maybe you feel stressed or anxious, depressed or lonely, or you might be struggling with a personal or family issue, Teladoc can help. Teladoc is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy to change counsellors if needed, for free. Teladoc therapy is available through most insurance or employers. Download the app or visit teladoc.com forward slash unexplained podcast today to get started. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C dot com slash unexplained podcast. McIntyre slowly opened his eyes and found himself back in the Mayaruna camp as shaman busied themselves about him, sucking out the worms and tending to his wounds. He had been rescued. Hours later, after drifting in and out of consciousness, he was finally strong enough to stand. Walking round the village cautiously, he saw no sign of red cheeks anywhere, while all about, Women, men and children were making a huge pile out of all their possessions. Everything, it seemed, from axes and bows to calabashes and spears, was being thrown away. Then he saw it, the body lying inside a funeral basket, propped up inside one of the huts. It was only when he drew near enough for the flies to scatter away from the face that McIntyre recognised the red painted cheeks underneath. Recoiling in horror, he stepped back outside in a daze. There was no sign of Red Cheeks' friends, either. Some of us are friends, he thought to himself. Looking up, he saw the chief standing by the pile of tools, ordering a fire to be lit next to it. All of it was broken up and flung into the flames. Spotting McIntyre, the chief came over to join him. They were holding us still, in time. When it is burned, we will move away, came the voice in McIntyre's head. Where to? he thought in reply. To the beginning. In bewilderment, McIntyre took a seat on the edge of the camp and watched as one by one the huts were torn down and flung into the fire. Then finally... The basket containing the body of Red Cheeks was also placed into its hungry flames. Once it had all been destroyed, just like before, the group promptly filed into a single column and marched headlong into the jungle on their journey toward the beginning. McIntyre, feeling the two rolls of film still safe in his pocket, rose to his feet and set off after them. For two days and nights they walked, stopping only for short rests and the occasional drink of water. No food was consumed. This was finally it, thought McIntyre. They would walk until death. On the second morning he made up his mind. At the first sight of a serious body of water, 
he would leave the tribe and take his chances alone. In the meantime, with the pace now barely more than a crawl, with many limping painfully, they continued forward. But then, from out of the trees came a stream of new but familiar faces, with tattooed lines around their mouths and noses pierced with whisker-like spines. And soon they were surrounded by them, greeting them with wide smiles and warm embraces. They hadn't been walking to their death, realised McIntyre. They had been walking home. Perhaps that was what they meant by the beginning, he thought. Before long, they were arriving into another village, much bigger than the previous camps, with over 20 huts dotted about. The mood was jubilant as the new arrivals settled in with the others, and the chief was given an especially warm welcome. Then McIntyre spotted incredibly that one of the new tribespeople was wearing shorts. Could it be, he thought, as he approached him cautiously, trying hard not to get his hopes up. Hello, he said in Portuguese. My name is Lauren. Lauren, yes. Welcome, replied the man, also in Portuguese. McIntyre could barely stand as the relief washed over him. The man, named Cambio, had learned the language after being forced to flee from his village when it was attacked by developers. Having managed to escape to Peru, he had sought refuge in a Baptist mission, where he stayed for three years before finally rejoining his people. That night, the ravenous McIntyre stuffed his face on plates of turtle meat and beiju, as Cambio explained more about the life of the Mayaruna. Later, McIntyre asked him if he ever spoke to the others without words. Was it possible that he had been doing this with the chief? Cambio's face lit up with a look of great surprise. No, he had not, he replied. Only the elders knew how to do that. But there was nothing more he could tell him about it. After dinner, McIntyre noticed some women spitting into bowls and mixing it with chopped vines from the forest. Preparing for a ceremony, he asked Cambio. Yes, he replied. We are returning to the beginning. It seemed the mysterious journey was still happening, after all. McIntyre woke up in the middle of the night to find Cambio standing over his hammock. Gesturing for him to stay quiet, he led the photojournalist toward a large hut from which a soft yellow light was emanating. McIntyre stepped inside and froze. There on the ground before him sat the chief, now more regal than ever, in a grand macaw-feathered crown, surrounded by other elders and shamans their faces just visible under the flickering of torchlight. The chief gestured for McIntyre to sit down. Why did you come to us? he asked out loud, as Cambio translated. Then McIntyre explained that he had heard of their tribe and had come there to photograph them. 
The men looked to each other with concern. And why hadn't he left already? He had wanted to before, he replied. But now, if he was allowed, he would like to witness them reaching the beginning. He needed to know what it was. After a moment's pause, the men smiled and nodded in approval. You staying here will be good for the ritual, said the chief. McIntyre, suddenly unsure again about what he was getting into, asked when it will happen, to which the chief replied, in two days. But how do you know what you are looking for? What if the beginning isn't there anymore? asked McIntyre, as Cambio translated. The chief broke into a laugh. The beginning is always there, he replied. It is never over. And with that, McIntyre was dismissed. The following day, McIntyre watched with interest as the village continued to prepare for the ceremony to the beginning, as more ingredients were brought from the jungle and mixed into pots by the women. That night, he was unexpectedly woken by Cambio. Come, Lauren, he says. It is happening now. At this, McIntyre is led through the dark toward a long line of tribesmen. Cambio explains to him that they must join the line to choose their new name, the name they will take to the beginning. Before he has time to think, the entire line takes a big step to the left. Cambio nods for McIntyre to join in. Quickly, they take another three steps forward, followed by two more to the right, then back and to the left, ending the movements with a clap. McIntyre does his best to dance with them as they go round again, and soon the men are beginning to chant as well. On and on it goes, until daylight, when finally, they stop. McIntyre then spots the chief making his way down the line, asking each of them to give their new name, placing a thumbprint of red Uruko paint on their foreheads as he goes. Another elder, following behind, smears their chest with crushed ginipap and gives them a bowl to drink from. Finally, it is McIntyre's turn. Unsure what to say, he gives his surname, to which the chief nods, then presses a red thumbprint onto his forehead. And then comes the bowl of viscous liquid, the concoction of fermented vine juice and spit. Unable to back out now, he takes a deep breath and drinks heavily from the bowl. McIntyre had hoped at the very least the drink wasn't a hallucinogenic drug. He realised very quickly that it was. The men stagger out of the line in a daze. McIntyre finds Cambio and gestures for him to sit with him as he waits for the drug to hit. Before long, 
He feels the warmth of it coursing through his body, feels time and space contracting at will. Heading back into the throng, he sees the lid of a bamboo container lifted up to reveal hundreds of frogs flopping about inside it. Cambio holds one up and shows McIntyre the secretions on its back and then drips some onto his tongue. To the side, a shaman pierces his arm with a knife while others peel back the wound and drip the frog secretion straight into it. All about him, the men are pacing around with some having dropped to all fours, barking and roaring as they mimic the sacred jaguar. Through the chaos, McIntyre also becomes aware of other men blowing powder into each other's noses. After receiving it, the men clutch at their faces for a moment, then open their eyes in a distant and vacant stare. McIntyre, who had refused all of it, stumbled back to where it started, through puddles of vomit brought up by some of the more adventurous drinkers of the liquid. Finding a quiet spot on the edge of the village, McIntyre dropped back onto the floor and stared up at a distant, unknown point above. By the afternoon, with the ritual over and the effects of the drink wearing off, McIntyre finds the chief. Knowing he will be leaving soon, he wonders if he might stay in contact with them to trade ideas or help them acquire medicines, perhaps. But the chief looks confused. Just then, Cambio appears. You are at the beginning now, McIntyre. You cannot return to your people. They are no longer there. And then it hits him. When are we going to die, he asks. Now it is Cambio's turn to look confused. We are not dying, he said with a smile. The chief gestured for McIntyre to follow him. Moments later, they are standing by the banks of a muddy stream. The chief points to a narrow section of it up ahead, then looks back to McIntyre. The beginning comes the voice in his head. And finally, McIntyre understands. It is not home or death that they have journeyed to, but simply to a time before. A time that always was and always is. A time before the objects of the world were smothered by the language of humans. The journey to the beginning was a shedding of all that baggage, the burning of those material possessions that were holding them still in time, a chance to reset and begin again. Now having reached the beginning, perhaps they could find a better path forward. Perhaps now they might be safe. And with that also, McIntyre understood something else. If they were to let him leave, it would destroy the spell and take them right back to the future they had left behind. They would sooner kill him than risk that. Over the next few weeks, McIntyre tried to accept his fate. 
with no hope of returning home on his own, he focused on learning more of their language and helping out with whatever he could. Until one night, when McIntyre woke up to find himself being completely drenched as a guttural thunder roared above him. Jumping from his hammock, he landed in a streaming torrent of knee-high water. Only then did he become aware of the frantic screaming of the villagers. Stumbling about in the dark, with the floodwaters pulling at his legs, he is suddenly clattered by a makeshift raft of two logs tied loosely together. Falling onto it, in seconds he is whisked through the trees and spewed out beyond into what is now a raging river. Hearing the cries again of the villagers, he tried furiously to paddle back to the bank, but then he realised this was his chance. Clinging tighter to the raft, he let the river take him away from the camp and out into the dark. Over the next day and night, McIntyre was knocked about ceaselessly by turbulent waters, only stopping occasionally to rest and shelter from the unforgiving sun. On the second day, raising his head wearily from the raft, he spotted three rubberized bags strung out across a fallen tree. After almost three weeks, he had finally made it back to his former camp. Finding tinned food in one of the bags, and later a battered canoe, McIntyre was eventually spotted and rescued by the Peruvian Navy. He would eventually make his way back to Iquitos, from where he had first set out on his epic journey in search of the Maya Runa. It was only after he was rescued that McIntyre realised a roll of film had fallen from his pocket. With only one roll of shot film left to develop, McIntyre will later be devastated to discover that it had been completely damaged by water. A few weeks later, after being given a clean bill of health from the Navy doctors, McIntyre returned home. Unsure of just what exactly he had experienced in the jungle, McIntyre wrestled over it for years before telling his story to Petru Popescu and Jean-Michel Cousteau while drifting down the Amazon River all those years later. In 1971, McIntyre returned to Peru, where, along with three others, he is credited with locating a lake that many take to be the furthermost source of the Amazon. What is now known as Laguna McIntyre was found just over 17,000 feet up Mount Mismi in the Andes. He remained one of National Geographic's most celebrated and respected photojournalists until his death at the age of 86 in 2003. In 2016, writer Petru Popescu published The Encounter, Amazon Beaming, giving the full and previously unheard account of McIntyre's extraordinary adventure. It would also be remiss of me not to mention the one-man show, The Encounter, adapted from the book 
and performed by the genius that is Simon McBurney. The show, produced by his company Complicite, was simply one of the most incredible theatre shows I have ever seen. And I can only hope it returns one day for anyone who didn't get the chance to experience it. As for the Mayaruna, also known as the Matsis, if McIntyre's story is to be believed, their journey to the beginning did little to correct their path from the ever-encroaching modern world. Despite being a nomadic tribe by nature, with developers moving further and further into their usual territory, they were forced to agree a land settlement in 1998. Home to 3,200 tribespeople, the area, covering roughly 1,800 square miles, is known as the Matsis Indigenous Reserve. To continue to survive, they are now having to sell it off to developers. If you enjoy listening to Unexplained and would like to help supporters, you can now go to unexplainedpodcast.com forward slash support. All donations, no matter how large or small, are massively appreciated. All elements of Unexplained are produced by me, Richard McLean-Smith. Please subscribe and rate the show on iTunes, and feel free to get in touch with any thoughts or ideas regarding the stories you've heard on the show. Perhaps you have an explanation of your own you'd like to share. You can reach us online at unexplainedpodcast.com or Twitter at unexplainedpod and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash unexplained. Now it's time to take care of yourself, to make time for you. Teladoc gives you access to a licensed therapist to help you get back to feeling your best. Speak to a licensed therapist by phone or video anytime between 7am to 9pm local time, seven days a week. Teladoc therapy is available through most insurance or employers. Download the app or visit teladoc.com forward slash unexplained podcast today to get started. That's T-E-L-A-D-O-C dot com slash unexplained podcast. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.